Good morning, and welcome to worship for March 29, 2020, from La Jolla Presbyterian Church. It's week two of coronavirus shelter-in-place, so we're worshiping from our homes this week. Reverend Dr. Paul Cunningham is preaching, and it's the fifth week of the Lenten Sermon Series, titled, Questions Jesus Asked. This morning, we're looking at two stories, James and John asking for Jesus' favor, and Blind Bartimaeus asking to see. The sermon is titled, What Do You Want Me to Do for You? Our scripture is from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 52. If you'd like to connect with our church, you can find our website at ljpress.org. We hope to see lives transformed by a relationship with Jesus, and we strive to be a place where you experience and are able to express that transforming love of Christ. And now here's Paul with, What Do You Want Me to Do for You? Well, here we are. Uh, nine days into sheltering in place, trying to discern and figure out uh, what is the new normal and how much longer is this going to last, trying to figure out um, how we relate to our kids and our grandkids. Uh, Many of you I know are are extremely isolated, and uh, some of you are trying to just sort through uh, what does the future look like. And we want to be there for you as a church, and I want you to hear that from me and from your staff. Our staff has been diligent in trying to reach out to people and caring for people and offering hope to people, and we want to be in touch. And we pray that um, if you need something to please let us know. You can go online. You can call us. We're checking phone messages. Uh, We want to be there for you as a church. This morning, as we continue on, before we get to our text, though, I actually want to look at the prophet Joel, and some may think that Joel is a, a strange place to, uh, to turn, but Joel's interesting in that it happens, and the, the words of prophecy happen during a time of locusts, and there's a plague upon the land, and the people are nervous, they're uncertain, they're trying to figure out what this is all about, they've never seen a plague such as this. And there's concern amongst the people and despair amongst the community. So much so that in Joel chapter 1, verse 12, we read this. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away. And I think that there are some in our own community who are feeling that way. And we as pastors and those on our staff and others are trying to figure out how do we encourage one another? How do we come alongside each other? But as we read in Joel, it's interesting that even the pastors are distraught about what is happening. Joel chapter 1 verse 9 says this, Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of God. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. There's a statement that the priests are mourning, and it's because they don't know what to do. They can't offer the sacrifices anymore. And I hope and I pray that we as a community, in the midst of our despair and in the midst of our uncertainty, that we don't land there. And I think that's where the words of Joel, as we continue to read on, are really helpful for us. Because you may recall that as you turn to Joel chapter 2, verse 28, God has a further word for that community. It's not one of despair. It's not one of uncertainty. It's not of things having dried up. But this is what God says, Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And afterward, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I cling to Joel too, because I know that God is not done with us. That God has a good and a perfect plan. We don't fully see it yet. We don't fully recognize it. But God says there is a day coming. There is a day of hope. And so I choose to continue to cling to that hope. So here we are now. It's the fifth Sunday of Lent, uh, which is hard to imagine. And as we go through this season of Lent, we have been looking at the theme of questions that Jesus asked. And next Sunday is Palm Sunday. And as Pastor Scott has mentioned, we are going to do communion virtually. We're going to share in the bread and the juice and, and, and bind our hearts together because I think it's important for us to share in the Lord's Supper together. But this morning, we turn our attention to yet another question that Jesus asked. And this comes from the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter. We're going to read verses 35 to 52. And let me give you a little context before we turn there. Three different times in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, and Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, I must go to my death. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and my life is going to be taken. And then three days later, I will rise from the dead. In Mark chapter 8, when he says that, Peter rebukes him and says, Lord, that can never happen. In Mark chapter 9, when Jesus shares that, the crowd the people around him don't fully understand what he's saying. And then he shares it for the third time in Mark chapter 10. And after that, this is where we now pick up our text. The disciples are traveling with Jesus and they're making their way to Jerusalem. And Jesus has just said that he must go to the cross and he must die. And that three days later, he will rise from the grave. So this then is what we read. This is verse 35 of Mark chapter 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup? I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Jesus asks the same question twice in our text. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? The first instance is around James and John. Now, it's interesting because Peter actually kind of gets bumped out of this conversation. We normally see Peter being the one who's being overly forthright with Jesus. But this time it's James and John, and it's in such a strange context. Jesus has just said, I have to go and I have to die. And three days later, I will be raised from the dead. And James and John say, that's great, Lord. But here's what we would like. We would like to sit at your right and on your left. We would like some of the fame that you are going to have. Because remember the context. The disciples are making their way to Jerusalem. And the idea was they were going for the high holy days. And as you go for the holy days, they sang the psalms, the psalms of the ascension, about the goodness and the wonder of God. And they're singing these songs. And they're thinking about Jesus as the Messiah. And they're thinking about the kingdom that they think he's going to bring, an earthly kingdom with power and might. But Jesus has something very different in mind. But nonetheless, they're talking amongst themselves, and Jesus asks, well, what can I do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And they said, we want to sit in glory with you. They want all the benefits of the kingdom without counting the cost. And of course, this angers the other disciples. They grow indignant that James and John have the audacity to say, Lord, we want to be the two that sit next to you, one on your right and one on your left. On your left. And we read that Jesus calls the disciples together, but that's a much stronger word there in the Greek. It's actually the word summons. He has some very strong words for them about what it looks like to be his follower. And he talks about the importance of serving. He uses the word, actually is used for the word deacon, the word that is used for waiting on tables. And he says, it's not just about being close to me. It's about serving me and serving one another. And the disciples have to start thinking through exactly what does this mean, this idea of service. But as they continue to make their way, they now have left Jericho. And as they're leaving Jericho, there's a blind man. It's interesting, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're never told the names of the people who are healed, with the exception of Bartimaeus. He's the only one. And he's sitting on the side of the road. And he's begging. And he's doing that because he is an outsider. 
Perhaps he has a family because we are told his family name. But he seems to have no place to go. And he's isolated. And as he hears that Jesus is walking by, he cries out, and he actually cries out something from 2 Samuel 7, this idea of, Son of David, have mercy on me. 2 Samuel had prophesied that that out of the, the house of David there would come a Messiah. And Bartimaeus, who literally cannot see, actually sees who Jesus is. It's interesting that James and John, they wanted fame. But what Bartimaeus was all about was faith. He didn't want to sit next to Jesus. He wanted to walk with Jesus. And so he cries out, Son of God, have mercy on me. And if you notice what happens, the same thing we talked about last week, that often happens in the Gospel of Mark, the crowd gets in the way. They tell the man to stop. They rebuke him, as verse 48 says. They told him to be quiet, but Bartimaeus kept crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And what I love about this is it's saying that God's kingdom, ultimately, is for those of us who don't have it all together. For those who feel as though we are sitting on the side of the road for those of us who feel isolated and in this day of social distancing it's hard not to feel a little bit isolated and so the man cries out and I love what happens verse 49 says Jesus stopped he stops and he says call him Bring him to me. And I think for us, the one thing that I want to encourage us with is that Jesus will stop for you. Jesus always makes the time. We cry out from a place of brokenness. We cry out perhaps from a place of uncertainty. And Jesus stops. The people of Joel's time, if you read through the prophecy of Joel, it's a dark time for the nation of Israel. But God reminds them that he's not done, that his spirit will come. And we know in the book of Acts, when Peter gives a sermon at Pentecost, he picks up that text from Joel chapter 2. And so for us in our own lives, I want to remind us that Jesus hears us. That Jesus stops to be with us. And he asks that question. What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus, his response is so simple. I just want to see. I want to see. And his faith and his sight, rather, is restored. And he gets up and begins to walk with Jesus. So I want to think about the setting just for a moment, if you will, of where Jesus and the disciples are when this happens. They're outside of Jericho. They're making their way to Jerusalem. And it is that road that Jesus tells a very well-known parable about. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's the story of a man who was beaten and robbed and left on the side of the road to die. 
between Jerusalem and Jericho. It was a dangerous road. When Jesus told that parable, everyone who was listening to it knew exactly what it was all about. They knew the Jericho road was treacherous, that it was dangerous, that robbers waited in hiding to overcome people and to steal from people. And this man is beaten on the side of the road and left for dead. And the religious leaders, the priests, the Levite, you may recall, they both walk by him and don't go near him. But the third man, the Samaritan, sees him, goes over, takes care of him, binds up his wounds, and takes him to a place where the man can stay. The first two, the priest and the Levite, had a number of reasons of why not to go near the man. What they were ultimately concerned about, though, was what would happen to me if I got too close. But the Samaritan thought about it differently. He was concerned about the man laying on the side of the road and what might happen to him if he didn't help him out. And I want to keep coming back to this theme for us as a church of saying we need to be looking out for those who feel as though they're on the side of the road. For those who are in crisis, for those who are uncertain about what life is bringing them. And we as a church, we as a staff, I'm telling you, we, we want to be in touch. We care deeply about our community of faith. But I want to invite you as well to reach out to those who perhaps find themselves in need. So how would you answer that question? Jesus asks it twice. What do you want me to do for you? What would you like Jesus to do for you? I've been thinking about that question a lot this week. People have been asking me, what, how can I pray for you? What's happening? What, 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 where, do you need, uh, where do you need prayer, Paul? But it comes back again and again to this question, what do you want me to do for you? That Jesus stops in front of us. Whether we're close to him or whether we're far away from him, whether we feel like we're a part of the crowd or we feel like we're an outsider, Jesus stops and says, what do you want me to do for you? So what do you want Jesus to do for you? Here's what I've been saying about what I would like for Jesus to help me with. That I would love to have clarity and wisdom and to ultimately be reminded that my joy is in Christ. I was reminded this week as I was working on this sermon of one of my more, fa- more favorite quotes. Uh, it comes from Kay Warren. And some of you may remember that Kay Warren was with us last year uh, teaching and sharing with us around the issue of mental health. But I love how she phrases this. I've actually printed it and have a big piece of paper sitting on my desk that says this because this is what I want for my life. Here's what she says. She says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all of the details of my life. It is the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in all things. It is the settled assurance. I love that. Settled assurance that God's in control of all the details. It is the quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be okay. And finally, it is the determined choice to praise God in all things. 
When Jesus says, Paul, what do you want me to do for you? That's what I'm asking for. I'm asking for his deep-seated joy and the reminder that he is with me in all that we are about, that I can rest in his goodness and in his grace. Pray with me, please. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for worship as we gather from literally east and west and north and south and bring together this service. We're grateful that we can be together, that even though we may be distanced physically, we gather together in in the goodness and wonder and the unity of your Holy Spirit. The Psalms remind us how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And so, Lord, we seek to do that. We pray that you would bless us this week as we love our neighbors. Lord, help us to to answer that question about what it is that we would have you do for us. We don't have to make that complicated. And Lord, let us be simple in our response. And God, let us continue to be guided by your grace and by your truth. And to remember, God, that you ultimately are in charge. That you are a God who is great and you are a God who is loved. And you have loved us deeply. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.